0: Hi, welcome to Hold the Light, a show for lifelong learners who are curious about the ways we can deepen our connection to our personal and spiritual growth. I'm Lori Gunning Grossman. I'm here to hold the light for the light holders of the world. Today on the show, I'm talking with Nick McRae, who is a human design and astrology intuitive and guide. As one testimonial on his website says, Nick eloquently transmutes cosmic wisdom into practical guidance. In our conversation, we talk about how human design and astrology can help us to know ourselves better— evolve, and embody our own unique journey through life. We also talk about how these systems can help us gain clarity and insight when we're going through transitions. We talk about emotional energetic repatterning, and Nick shares some insights about what to expect in 2024, including what lessons will be unfolding for us as a collective. This is something you'll want to hear right now. And so here's my conversation with Nick McRae. So here's what I want to know, Nick. First of all, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. If anyone is tuning in right now and does not know what human design is, how do you describe human design?
1: I basically describe it as like a a system for understanding the mechanical functions between people. So we're not looking so much at the esoterica. We're not looking so much at the characteristics of personality traits or how you were nurtured by your culture. When we're looking at human design, I see this as like a black and white mechanical framework for how humans interact within a circuit with one another. Very cool. Yeah.
0: And each person has their own unique human design.
1: Yeah. So the human design is based on a whole bunch of prior existing systems like the Chinese I Ching, um, astrology, some Kabbalistic designs, um, chakra influences. So it's pulling together a whole lot of different esoteric modalities to try and get like a more defined sense of how a person works and who they are and the kind of functions in which they operate. So it's pulling from a whole bunch of different angles to basically give you the same answer, this answer of like wholeness, this answer of oneness and basically just a way to understand how you work that you can operate in within your free will. But ultimately there is a framework to adhere to. And we learn that we, can adhere to this framework and things seem to work a little bit more organically for us. It's only when we're caught working against this framework that we get caught in bitterness and anger and frustration and it just feels like things aren't flowing for us. So it's not like you must subscribe to human design, but the more that you learn about how your design works and the more you can apply that to your free will, I've found to be amazing in its results for people.
0: So it also helps people from what I understand, a little bit of what I understand. So it helps us to make decisions, right? Mm -hmm. It helps us to know ourselves. And then what can be helpful is to know the people around us who we're in relationship with, what their human design is. And that can help with better communication and understanding each other. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. And just understanding on a fundamental level that everyone doesn't work the same. So I think that one of the biggest factors that is helpful, as you mentioned, is decision making, because to learn if you're a sacral authority or an emotional authority, that's a big indication as to how you're gonna go about making decisions. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that is a massive point in this. But also it's just that awareness that everyone is working differently and defining each other differently. So the way that you show up is going to be different depending on where you are and who you're around based on how other people and environments are defining you. So if people are very open, as we would say in human design, have a lot of open centers, they're going to be more heavily influenced by their environment and the people around them. Whereas people that are more defined, have less open centers, might be affecting their environment more than it's affecting them, and in turn may feel less influenced by their environment, but also might not feel like they can mesh as organically.
0: And in order for us to know our human design, we need to know, or it's most helpful to know, our time of birth, and where we're born.
1: Yeah, because basically what we're looking at is the position in which we dropped onto the earth. So what is our perspective on this grand wheel? And the birth time in human design does vary on how much it matters. So for example, uh, I can be born 10 hours sooner or 10 hours later. My chart didn't change. I was Going to be a manifester with an emotional authority. There was no denying that. But an ex that I was getting into human design with, she got her birth time rectified by two minutes and it changed her whole chart. So you never know if you're going to be right on that cusp unless you look. And are you a manifester? I am an emotional manifester, a
0: 5-1. So when you're an emotional manifester, what does that mean by emotional?
1: It means that my decision making is governed by my solar plexus. I have an emotional authority that governs that manifestor aura. So if I was, let's say, for example, uh, an ego manifester, it would be my heart, my will that governs all of that decision-making process. But because I'm an emotional authority, I have to allow that initiation and that manifestation aura to be driven by the clarity of my feelings. Um, so that's just a, like a little bit of a drop-down distinction in that each type has different authorities, and that's going to change how that type um follows its decision-making process most organically.
0: And so you mentioned that within human design, one thing that it pulls from is astrology. Yeah. In addition to other modalities, if that's the word Mm -hmm. to use. Yeah. So, but you also, you use human design with astrology. So even though astrology is in human design, you are also working with it on its own But together. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the way that I like to pair these two is to kind of consider it like if I was to be doing a portrait of you right now, the human design would be where I come in with the pencil. Okay, this is where your head is. This is where your eyes are. This is where your mouth is. This is kind of non-negotiable. This is structural. Right? But the astrology is, well, what color is your skin? What color is your hair? What color are your eyes? What is the look that's on your face? Like, how is your hair sitting? You know, these are all more characteristics of yourself. Mm. So human design tells me, in a very black and white way, how the structure of everything works. Whereas astrology fills in the character, the timing, and a little bit more of the human aspect of it for me.
0: Okay, so here's my other question then. You described what human design is. What is astrology? I think that we all have a basic idea of astrology and maybe our horoscopes or some people will say it's Mercury retrograde. But what is it really? How do you describe astrology and how you use it?
1: I see astrology as a psychological consistency for determining cycles of time and human development. So, how I can kind of broaden that is to say that we're all part of what I call the celestial clockwork, um, which is basically to say all the planets are moving like a clock and they move at their own rate, no matter what we feel, no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on here on Earth, the planets are doing what they're doing. So, when you were born at this certain location, this certain time, on this certain date, this certain year, you locked in a certain geometrical perspective on earth so basically you dropped in at a certain point on that clock Mm. and as the clock continues to spin that's your perspective and everything will revolve around that perspective or that position you dropped in on so depending on where you were born and when you were born and you know what year you were born it's going to change where your perspective on that clock is and how the geometry of the planets was sitting in the sky now how we look at astrology is to say that each one of the planets in the sky represents a part of ourself. So Mercury represents our thought process and how we communicate, right? Mars is the planet of action. It's, It's what we use to progress our vital energy. It's how we take action and what we put our energy towards. So by seeing the geometry between the planets in this chart, we understand the certain interactions or conversations going on within us, between our heart, and our mind, oh. between our drive and our wisdom. So the way that I look at astrology is these are certain consistencies that we can use to measure our movement through those cycles. It doesn't matter when you were born or what year you were born or where you were born. Between the ages of 28 and 30, Saturn is going to have gone all the way around the sky. That's a definable metric for every human to come have a coming of age around 30. Mm. Around mm. 42 to 44, Uranus will go halfway around the sky. That means for everyone between the ages of 42 and 44 you have your midlife crisis. Okay. It's a definable metric by the planets. So the way that I like to look at astrology is a definable metric of time to understand the cycles of human nature and maturity and to be able to use these different consistencies as a psychological framework for understanding people's personality. So if you're born under the star of Taurus, you know, born April May You're going to be embarking on the same sort of job as every other Taurus, but you're going to be doing it in a completely unique way to your life. So that's the way that I like to look at astrology.
0: Now, are those the only touch points in a person's life? You said Saturn returns between 28 and age 30. Mm -hmm. And then you said between the ages of 42 and 44, what happens then? Is it Uranus?
1: Yeah. Uranus has gone halfway around its orbit. And so we call that a Uranus opposition. And the layman term for that is a midlife crisis.
0: Okay. And then is there anything else beyond that? Or are those just the two touch points in a person's life? No,
1: there are lots and lots. Those are just ones that are um, most known. Okay. So, you know, when you're turning 30, you're kind of growing up. You know what I mean? Like between the end of your 20s and the beginning of your 30s, I think everyone it's a kind of a wake up call of some sort, like you start to recognize, you're not as mature as you thought you were, but you're a lot older than you were when you were 20. So I feel like that's a definable metric that everyone can relate to that when I turned 30, life did change in some way, and we can relate that to Saturn. And you know, if we think about Uranus, being this planet of eccentricity and innovation and rebelliousness and outgoingness, when it opposes itself and the midlife crisis, like, well, let's get the sports car. Let's retain our youth. Like, let's get crazy. Let's, we don't want to get stuck. I'm only 40. I haven't really, you know, fully expressed myself yet. So that's another one that people can really relate to. Like, yeah, around that time, I felt like I had to really shift how I approached my life and embrace aspects of my youth that maybe were still treasured to me.
0: Okay. What about someone like me who's 54? What am I coming upon? What's coming up for me?
1: Well, in 54, you would be coming up a little bit closer to that Saturn, because between 58 and 60, that's when you're going to be going through another Saturn return. Oh. So... You still have a little bit of time before you get to that. You're kind of in a middle zone right now, but I would need your chart to know exactly what sort of influences you're under, which is a good segue to just remind that, like, even though we have these consistencies, like, everyone will have a Saturn return and everyone will have a Uranus opposition, assuming you live that long. Right. Depending on the specific positioning of the planets when you were born, you might be going through major transits that other people may never go through. Mm. So, for example, if someone is born with their son in Capricorn, Pluto has been moving through Capricorn since 2008. So that means that at some point, Pluto would have crossed over top of the sun in their chart. And that's a once in a lifetime transit. I mean, it takes like 280 years for Pluto to go all the way around. So you would have to live to be that old to see that again. Now, let's say someone's born with their son in cancer. Well, now it's going to be like another 140 years before Pluto gets there. So they're never going to experience in their lifetime, Pluto crossing their sun. So even though we all have these ones that we're going to experience, there's also certain ones that are unique to you, depending on when you were born and where you were born and where the planets were.
0: So cool. We really are truly on our own unique journey here on this path that we're walking.
1: Absolutely. And that's my favorite part about all of these design systems. It's not just so I can feel more decisive or, you know, anything like that. I think that the biggest part of it all is just to be aware of how we're all conditioning one another, hmm. you know, we're all influencing each other with our own path and our own perspectives and our own upbringings, but we're all moving through the sauce together. Yeah. So uh, that's the biggest thing that I love about it is we're all under the same sky, but we're being influenced in so completely different ways. And that's why I think humans are meant to work together as a team, because certain people are going to be supported in different ways than others at different times. And that's when we ultimately want to work as that circuit and operate within our authenticity. So that depending on what we're going through as a society or collective, and also depending on what we're going through personally, we can translate that to all help each other out and move through this walk of life together.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. Community. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when people come to work with you and they say, hey, Nick, I want my chart read. Is that what they say?
1: Yeah. Can you do a reading for me? Chart Yeah, There's lots.
0: So when people come to you, I'm assuming that they have certain reasons why they want to work with you. Maybe they want certain questions answered or they want clarity on things. And that's something that people can gain. Like, say, let's do something specific. So say someone's going through a career transition. Mm -hmm. Like I went through a career transition this past March and continuing in this transition. There are a lot of people I hear about this. Some of it Is just a life transition. Some of it is children leaving for college transition. So, if someone is in the middle of a change in their life and they don't see what's in front of them, they don't have clarity, like how to move forward, what are ways that you work with people through astrology and human design? Do you help them gain clarity? Do you say to them, well, looking at your chart, it's looking like you need to shore up your your spiritual life in the year to five years ahead. Like, is it that
1: is it that distinct? It can be, although I try and avoid doing predictive astrology mm. or premonition astrology. Okay. The main reason being because it inherently creates an expectation, yeah. and inherently creates um, a giving of power. So what I like to do is give perspective on. What you're going through how you work how you may be conditioned by society and then just human interaction like i'm going to give you some advice on what i think you know would be supportive in what you're going through so a big part of it can look like coaching or therapy or counseling but the reason why i shy away or lean away from those premonitionary timelines mm. is because now you're superimposing something on someone's consciousness so let's say someone comes to me and goes, is this the right person for me to marry? I met this new person, there's a lot of chemistry. Even if they give me their chart, I can see all of the chemistry. I can see the dynamics between these people. But the point I would have to make is that, do you believe that a stranger that you're getting an astrology reading from can make that kind of decision for you? Mm. I can help support that decision and reinforce your decision or make you have more clarity on that. But at the end of the day, if I give you a timeline for something that's too rigid, Mm. you're going to start to apply yourself to that timeline, and that can interfere with your process. Or if I say, no, you shouldn't be with this person, there's bad geometry, I might be preventing you from an important karmic lesson that you needed from that relationship, but you've given your power to me and assumed that I know better. Mm. So as much as I appreciate being able to share that perspective, I try not to give too much of a defined timeline or too much of a time, um, like defined directive, because I want to empower people. Mm. I don't want them to empower me to make their decisions for them.
0: I like that. So you're, you're giving space for people to have discernment when they are working with you, so they can make their own decisions with a, whatever information comes forward through a reading with you.
1: Yeah. And I'll always give as much perspective and framework as I can. So I'm telling you about the dynamics of this relationship, what sort of cycles you're in, what I'm getting intuitively from your past or your childhood, you know, even looking at the certain verbiage you're using when you're talking to me. Mm. It's a really important thing to just psychologically poke apart like where your beliefs are based on how you're communicating about the topic. Mm. So these are all things I can do to support your decision and bring you clarity, make you feel more comfortable with it, make you feel like you're better equipped to process whatever it is you're going through. But at no point will I indicate that I know better.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Uh, And at any point that people try and come to me for that, like, well, when should I move or when should I do that? Like, I'll give an, an idea of what I think would be supportive, but always with the grain of salt, this is your free will. And I'm just here to inform you. Right. Not to direct
0: you. Okay. Now you mentioned how you listen to people's words and you listen to their beliefs what they're saying and their beliefs. Mm -hmm. Is that something that through human design and astrology, you can help people maybe reshape beliefs they have or work on beliefs? Like, let's talk about a big one, money beliefs. Mm -hmm. We have our stories around money. Some might be coming through great abundance. Some might be coming from scarcity. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So someone coming from scarcity, how would they – work with you with human design and astrology to perhaps shift and change those beliefs? Is that something that you can do with people?
1: It's actually kind of the crux of my work is what I call emotional and energetic repatterning. So yes, I do astrology and human design readings, but my whole philosophy is that I don't necessarily want someone to pay me to talk about something they could Google, Mm -hmm. right? Like ultimately, I want to be bringing something that is more refined and directed towards the individual rather than their chart so when i talk about emotional and energetic repatterning we're using the charts as a form of context or mediumship to understand where this person's at and how they work and then in dialoguing with them i'll start to identify based on how they're talking about their finances in this case what their beliefs are around that what their upbringing was around that what sort of um you know kinks or apprehensions they have just in in the flow of money as a currency, right? So then what I would do is start to bring in certain belief systems or patterns that I think would be maybe more beneficial to the direction they want to go, while also having to address the core root of where these beliefs started from, hmm. right from the get-go. And then also really coming full circle with it, that at the end of the day, anything that you're trying to control is a lack of faith. And so... What it will always come back to at the end is in some way, shape or form, like reconnecting with that faith in your life and yourself and your connection so that you can feel like you're decisive, so that you can feel like you're informed. And so that you can trust the process, because if you feel like you need to affect where your money's at, all you really need to affect is you. And the money will then, of course, be affected as a product. So I really try not to focus on the outward in and try and focus on the inward out.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that you brought up faith, the word faith, because I do think that's a, a big thing for so many of us to work on, of moving our faith into fear. And embracing the uncertainty and the unknown. And is this part of how you work with people as far as like the energetics of helping people to come more from a a faith and trust perspective as opposed to a fear
1: perspective? absolutely and i find that the energetic component of the work that i do although it doesn't get as much screen time Mm -hmm. i guess you could say like people never approach me about the energy work Mm -hmm. um, because i think it's pretty standard to find people that are doing reiki and chakra balancing and stuff these days not to say those things aren't extremely valuable i mean i i get those things done all the time i just more so mean that people don't see it as defined or as credible or as tangible as something like their chart you know Mm. that they feel there's an inherent belief in that this thing has information for me so what i like to use the charts for is that frame of reference similar to how someone like carissa schumacher would use mediumship so she uses her mediumship to bridge the context between her channel and your experience i use your charts as the form to bridge your channel or my channel and your experience so to put this all in a nutshell The energetic component of what I do is the most important because most of the time what people just need is a little tune up. Um, All of this talking I'm doing, the charts, all that, it's just to keep your human distracted while we tinker around in the background. Mm. And 90% of the time when someone comes out of a session, I go, how do you feel? They go, I feel so clear and relaxed. And lots of the time they forget how they felt when they came into the session. And the, you know, I would never take credit for this myself. I'm just regurgitating a reoccurring theme that people will email me after and say, like, that was like 10 years of therapy in those couple sessions. So I see the energetic component as almost more valuable than the information because people leave the session. They don't listen to the recording right away. They don't remember what we talked about, but they immediately feel like something shifted. And then when they listen to the recording in the future, and it catalyzes that shift in the energy, then it's extremely palpable that there was an effect from that session, um, and that's what I sh- I really focus on shooting for. Mm. We want to just tinker with the energetics so that someone can shift that, and usually it happens unconsciously, which is what makes it a lot more easy. And you're
0: able to do it if you're not actually in person with someone, like if you're doing a say a Zoom
1: call with them. I prefer. I prefer Zoom. Oh. The reason being because we're both in our own space, we're both in our own bubble and we're both focused. I don't have to meet you somewhere or set up my office. I don't have to build that rapport. We don't have to like change our clothes, you know, like <laughs> you're comfortable in your own space and you're fully attentive for an hour. Yeah. And energy doesn't have boundaries, you know? So ultimately cuz energy has no boundaries or barriers, I would say it's almost a more focused dynamic on Zoom. Whereas if I'm in person or at a trade show, there's all of these human distractions and influences that take away from the focus of the session. Yeah,
0: oh my God, energy has no bounds. Is that what you said, no boundaries? What did you
1: say? No boundaries, no (sighs) barriers, energy energy is infinite. So if you're doing energy work in North America on someone in Australia, there's no lag. They'll feel it instantly.
0: It's so wild, it's so beautiful. And it's a little crazy to wrap my head around. I believe it. I fully believe it. It's still wild to think about, like, you and I, as people are listening, they're hearing our voices. We are actually seeing each other on Zoom right now. And that there is energy exchange going on and that we don't have to be Mm -hmm. in the same room. It's wild to me.
1: Yeah, this is the intimacy of the new age, right? That yeah. we're all connecting energetically. So even think about this for me. I'm I'm pretty young, right? I'm a millennial. So I grew up texting. That was how we we would like initiate dates or communicate with each other. You know, it wasn't like calling the landline or going and meeting at the mall. Like it had shifted when I was a teenager to everyone texting each other. Mm-hmm. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because you can miscommunicate a lot through a text message you can read into the text message wrong there's lots of things around that but that all aside 90 percent of the time when you send a text to someone there's an emotional ring in that text Mm -hmm. there's a certain level of intimacy in a conversation you can achieve so on something like zoom where our voices are interacting we're looking at each other we feel that intimacy similar if we were in a room but even if you're having a deep intimate conversation with someone over text there's a lot of energy being exchanged in that so you also got to remember that it's not just the voice and, and the eyes and all of these things. It's the fact we're connecting energetically as just a natural part of our day to day. And so my mother, who I would credit everything I've ever learned to basically uh, always said that technology is the dinosaur of telepathy. And I would agree with that because as we're texting, we're exchanging that energetic information. And how often do you think of someone and look down at your phone and they just messaged you? So this is all a part of us just recognizing we're in a unified field and the energy has no barriers within that.
0: Okay. Speaking of us all being in a unified field...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and energy and connection. As we're rounding up this conversation, I would love to talk a little bit about, if you're open to sharing, about 2024. Mm-hmm. 2024, the year ahead of us, and then a little bit beyond, as far as from an astrological point of view. Mm-hmm. What are some lessons that are coming up for us uh, collectively, or or what can we expect in this year ahead?
1: Coming into January, what we're really seeing is an intense leap forward into this new age. And we're already seeing that start to occur. Like we're starting to see a lot of separations and divorces going on. We're starting to see a lot of people changing jobs, leaving the corporate world. We're starting to see a lot of people dive fully into awakening and spirituality. We're like, we're seeing a lot of things start to rapidly shift and develop to a place that we've never seen it before. So coming into 2024, All of the things that we've been reflecting on and trying to solidify since August are going to finally get let go and we get to fire that arrow. So what we're going to see immediately coming into February is an intense uh, increase of momentum, of progress, but also that everyone is individually responsible for this progress. This is the kind of the wisdom of this Aquarian age is that everyone is existentially alone in this world. That doesn't mean that we're not part of community and family and loved ones and all these things. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, you are the only one responsible for your destiny and you're responsible for nobody else's. While you can be influential on other people's destiny, you're not responsible for it. So what this is kind of engendering in me is an awareness that we all have to reinvent the foundation of what commitment means, and stability means, and consistency means, and loyalty means. It also means we have to face the emotional repercussions of all of these shifts that we've just had the last few years mm. coming into this new age. Right. So how I see this is that everyone needs to take personal responsibility for the emotional repercussions of freedom, so that we can all face those emotional repercussions and gain a sense of catharsis awareness around what we're personally responsible for because even if we die surrounded by loved ones after a successful life there's only two people there you and whatever part of yourself that you're going back up to right so how i look at 2024 to put it in a nutshell is a lot of radical progress on facing the emotional repercussions of freedom and independence and how we all have to be responsible for our own grief and our own trauma so that we can relate to one another through that. And we can unify. Because divide and conquer has never been more powerful than it is now. And in the Aquarian age, it really comes down to the fact that all of the we is just a series of me's. And if we all take that personal responsibility for the me, then we ultimately become the we.
0: Are you feeling good about 2024, though, on the
1: whole? Absolutely. I think it's going to be really like the wake up call in a lot of ways that we need because we've been in this weird liminal space transitioning, right? We've been kind of flip flopping back and forth, and 2024 will have a lot of that flip flopping as well. Okay. But by the time we get into 2025, Pluto will be fully moved into Aquarius. will be fully initiated into this age. So this year is really a calibration period in a lot of ways for our own independence and our sovereignty. Mm. And when I say that, I don't mean isolation. Let's not misinterpret this. Like community and connection and all these things are more important than ever. But it's once again, because when we take personal responsibility for our own journey, then we can become collaborators with one another. And then we don't feel so codependent and interdependent. We don't feel so reliant on institutions. We realize that we're responsible for our own destiny and that we have a part in everybody else's. And so if we all take personal responsibility for that, then we aren't blaming how our mom raised us. We're not blaming the government for how they're running us. We're not blaming Nestle for being corporate and corrupt. You know, like at the end of the day, we can put all this blame and shame externally and make everything everyone else's problem. Or we can accept the fact that the only thing that we have any power over is ourself. And as we start to exert that power over ourself and, you know, become empowered in that, the world starts to shift vicariously. It's called a changing of the paradigm. So ultimately, we don't need to try and affect the world. All we need to do is affect ourselves and we'll influence the world. That's the sense of independence and sovereignty I'm talking about.
0: Words to Live by Nick. I know that, as you said, you are on the younger side. You are very wise and a beautiful guide. And I thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with me today here on Hold the Light and putting this out there in the world and also giving us a little bit of a guide for ourselves and for the world as we move into a new year, a new time frame. And thank you so much. I really appreciate talking to
1: you. You're welcome. And one thing I would like to leave with for anyone who's starting out on this journey a little bit more, like maybe has dabbled for a few years, but you know, is really looking for a good resource on what is this actually all about? Tanis McRae's book, Talking to Myself, Evolving on Purpose, is literally the guidebook of awakening that I was raised with. So all of my awarenesses, all of my knowledge, all of my wisdom, all of my training and energy work all came from her. And so if anyone would like literally the guidebook on what got me to where I am, I highly recommend looking into it because it's, it's the great place to start.
0: I'm going to link to that in our show notes so people can go there to find it. And thank you again. You're so wonderful and knowledgeable and a beautiful light in this world. So I really appreciate it.
1: Well, well thank you. I very much appreciate that, Lori. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely.
0: To learn more about Nick and how you can book a session with him, visit his website, beyondironic.com. Ironic is spelled I-R-O-N-I-K. You can also find him on Instagram at fire.n.iron. Thank you for listening to Hold the Light. For more information about this episode and the topics discussed, Visit our show notes or find more at holdthelightcollective.com or on Instagram at hold the light collective. This podcast is produced by me, Lori Gunning Grossman. Jonathan Grossman is our co producer and all around sound guru. He also wrote the original music. This podcast is recorded and mixed at Night Shift Audio in Los Angeles, California. Finally, if you like the show, please rate, review, and share it with a friend. Let's share the light with each other.